This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Well, hey there, everyone. Welcome. It's uh, Inauguration Day here in the state of Illinois. We are glad you're here, and uh, our uh, the inauguration is still ongoing in Springfield. The governor gave his address uh, right after noon. Uh, attorney, uh, Lieutenant Governor Juliana Stratton also spoke, and uh, Attorney General Kwame Raoul is speaking at this hour uh, at 1 o'clock as we... Uh, launch here in our uh, little post game show that we're uh, we're planning here um on uh for the illinois and uh we are pleased to bring in former state representative former state senator uh, ron sandak uh from the uh chicago suburbs down at Grove. um ron served in the house in the senate then in the house and uh he um is uh, is a Republican uh, has been critical of uh, J.B. Pritzker in his first term, uh, and we are going to uh, uh, get his perspective as well as this uh, lovely lady who is jumping uh, in, uh, Latissa Wallace, who's a former Democratic state representative uh, from the Rockford area. Uh, her uh, her little um, uh, her little screen is. Uh, loading itself but she'll be here momentarily uh she's actually in springfield was at the inauguration uh herself so we'll get her perspective uh too uh let's say it looks like you have muted yourself uh so whenever you're ready uh you can uh unmute uh yourself uh ron i'll start with you uh what'd you think i wasn't surprised by anything the governor said i think he is speaking from a position at least from his perspective of strength, he was overwhelmingly reelected. Uh, I think he hit on some familiar um, connections uh, and comments, and some of which I think are more likely to be termed as platitudes. But I, I think he's starting to pump his chest up and offer his progressives, you know, uh, bona fides, right, from his first term and going forward. And I think a lot of this is, frankly, um, a, you know, a dress rehearsal, if you will, for a presidential run. So nothing he said surprised me. Everything I, I, I heard from him, um, I sort of expected. And all of it, again, I would categorize as, you know, progressive platitudes. Uh, let's just say again, if you can, uh, there you go. You unmute yourself. Uh, you, um, uh, you were in the room, so uh, now that you're hooked up and hooked in, and I understand your connection's a little goofy, but we'll we'll live. Uh, how uh, how how did you uh, how did you take it? What was your sense of what you saw in the in the room today? Well, the governor got an overwhelming response to his policy proposals. Obviously, it was a room full of people who supported him. Maybe a few who did not. 
um, who are elected and will work with him. I do think that uh, Representative Sandek is correct that it was setting the stage for something bigger to come in the next couple of years. Um, as a former progressive legislator, couldn't be happier. I think Ron remembers all the debates and uh, roundabouts that he and I had on the House floor on child care. So I'm still excited that that continues to be front and center. And I'm hoping that we do get to a place of universal access to pre-K and childhood, uh, early childhood education. Well, let's start there. It took about 14 minutes for the governor to get to a, an actual policy proposal uh, in the speech. And the first was, and I'm pardon me for looking off to a different screen, uh, to make preschool available to every family throughout the state. So I assume that means universal preschool. I assume that means private private preschool. I, I don't know exactly what we're talking about here. So uh, is, as someone who's worked on the issue, what does it mean? How do we pay for it? Well, I will say that we're paying for it already by not having access. We know that having access to childcare and early childhood education is better for our economy. Families, parents are able to get to work. They know their children are someplace safe. And then the children um, have, you know, instruction and are, the seeds are planted for them to have greater outcomes, more likelihood to graduate from high school, more likelihood to go on to college. Um, they have better health outcomes because there are screenings that come into play for eye, vision, um, hearing, any cognitive screenings that may need to take place. So we pay already when we are limiting access. Employers need their employees at work. Having early childhood um, education and child care available allows that to happen, and it benefits the children in the long run. You can see uh, on your screen that... Uh... Attorney General Kwame Raoul is uh, still speaking. That uh, feed is courtesy of Blue Room Stream. Uh, he's uh, he's been going for a few minutes now. So, uh, but he uh, he's third in the line. So we'll still have uh, the new Secretary of State uh, Alexi Janulius, uh, State Treasurer Mike Frericks, and uh, State Comptroller Susana Mendoza uh, to speak this afternoon. Uh, Ron, I, I imagine your answer is going to be the same, whether we're talking about free preschool, free college, whatever it might be. Um, my my guess is that the Republican pushback on this is going to be where does the money come from, right? Well, I yeah, I think that's part of it, Patrick. But I I think originally this is one of those concepts that's hard to say. I'm against it, right? Who's against you know furthering education, whether it's through preschool or at, you know elementary, uh, K through eight, high school, college, etc. Everyone's for education. Um, but you kind of touched your finger on this when you first asked Dr. Wallace about this. You know, she she did her skilled reply with, well, we're paying for it by not doing it. But that begets the question, doesn't it? Um, how are we going to pay for it? By We're expanding government again. And this is one of those platitudes I, I touched on. Um, when you're right now, you know, a Democrat, you're kind of unchecked in Springfield and you know, I think Pritzker is trying to flex his progressive muscles. I think he's auditioning for the national stage. And this is one of those things, you know, that probably uh, fares well amongst progressives. Never mind its, you know, affordability. Illinois isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing in, you know, in many respects with K through eight 
education or high school education, notwithstanding the gobs of money thrown at it. Um, you know, kind of this old fashioned yet uh, resoundingly successful, hey, we'll just do, we'll, let's just throw more programs out there and more money and damn be the, the means testing or the success testing. It's a lot of rationalization. But I look, I think it's going to get done. My guess is it'll get done overwhelmingly. And that worry about how we pay for it thing will be much like almost any Illinois program, right? We'll figure it out, right? And we'll take it from Peter to pay Paul uh, or Lisa to pay Jane. And we'll worry about that down the line. And I don't know if you caught this, Patrick. Um, I'm sure Dr. Wallace did because she's an astute listener. When, when, and I'm not, I'm not, no, a listener. no, yeah, okay, I guess fine. that was, a I'm not astute answer. either. I <laughs> you get know what? It. I stand by it. Okay. <laughs> she's more astute. How's that? That's um, true, there, was, there was no disrespect intended. There was a point. It was really noticeable. Pritzker said, we also got to do tax reform. And almost no one applauded. It was like, imp it was almost embarrassing how light the applause was. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just not a priority amongst progressives. They don't care because, you know, maybe the federal government will have another emergency. I mean, heck, we're still spending COVID money, right? That can probably be used in that regard. And it wasn't actually well, tax reform. Well, but you reform. can't say we don't care. Well, I well, kind of can. <laughs> here, so here's the line. Um, you what, found it. Um, what we've, we've done a lot in recent years, balancing the budget, paying off debt, and eliminating interest on overdue bills has made it possible for us to provide tax relief. Let's work toward more permanent tax relief. So he's he's echoed that over the last few months, that he wants permanent tax relief. No, though he no, he doesn't. That's BS. You know what I know. It. He doesn't want any tax relief because if otherwise it's going to handcuff him. He can't continue to spend money if he's got to. I mean, what's he going to do? Raise the gas tax again? Where, where, which, I mean, which it just went up three cents right, nine days ago. So. Right. We got marijuana fees. We got booze fees. We got every cent tax yeah. you can imagine. Right. Property taxes are through the roof. And we have a high income tax. Uh oh, did we just lose Latisha? She'll be back. Okay, She'll good. Be back. Um, oh, there she's go. back. All right, good. Um, I mean, that whole concept of how we're going to pay for things—it just doesn't fly anymore in Springfield. It should, but it doesn't. She's back. All right, how do you? Uh, I can't unmute you, Latisha. So if you can do that, um, the uh, if you if you have, it looks like she might have frozen. She's uh. Uh, in well, at least she in looks good in that frozen so. state. <laughs> Sometimes uh, you can look terrible, which which is more than either you and I can say. Right. Um, That's so. The point. Uh, hopefully, she'll we'll get her reconnected here in just a second. Um, you know, obviously we're we're dealing uh, with live uh, live technology and live internet, and live internet is not always the most uh, reliable thing in the world, but. Uh, I, I, I do run while well, we get her reconnected, want to ask you about um, the some of the stuff that, that you've been really frustrated with this governor over. And he uh, he he continued to um, toot his own horn, I guess, uh, over his handling of the covid situation. Sure. Um, you know, I. 
I, I was one of the I was maybe one of the few people on the the right center right who was was pretty understanding early on of of the uh, governor's uh, actions and and the the where was he early on when did early on end Patrick well and I think that's the I think that's the fair question is right. is you know how long does the how long does the emergency last well it's lasting and, right now. And, and 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 I so is is this an issue because of that he for especially for those that have been so critical of him is this an issue of you all who are angry at how long he's kept these these issues in place or just the fact that he's done them in the first place? So angry isn't the right word. I think it's more disappointed. Um, because I often do, when you're in the minority party, you got to do a lot of, you know, hypotheticals, right? Because it's almost impossible for young Democrats to imagine, you know, a Republican governor having unfettered control over any situation in the state of Illinois. And unfettered control should trouble any American, any Illinoisan. Unfettered is scary. And yeah, it was only used for this, you know, in this way. That's kind of rationalizing a, a really important topic here. So look, I was unhappy and discouraged by many of the things Governor Pritzker did during COVID, but not at the onset. At the onset, when no one knew anything, I understood. But when I asked you, it wasn't rhetorical. It was, okay, so when when does a governor stop giving himself or herself unfettered control over something. And when does a legislature, irrespective of partisan politics, step up and say, okay, enough. I think we're well past that with respect to COVID. The legislature is meeting regularly, has met regularly in person without masks for a long time now. And yet Pritzker, what's he on? Number 38, 39, or 40 of his executive orders? Forget that he's a Democrat. Forget that he's rich and famous. Forget that he even did a good job at some period of time, if you believe that. When do you uncheck this box and say, okay, this has gone way beyond the pale? All right, Latessa, you're back. So I've, I've got two issues here for you to respond to since, since Ron's, uh, Ron's been, been- Monologuing? Uh, <laughs> you said it, not me. Uh, so uh, just since we're, we're on, we'll get back to taxes, since we're on COVID, um, you know, his his belief is that the governor is, has has used this executive action too far and for too long. Um, what what is the argument from your side of the aisle that that either a uh, all of these actions, all of these mandates that were put in place were the right things, and b that these executive orders should continue to be extended. Well, look, unfortunately, you can't prove a negative, right? So the fact is that we lost over 30,000 people in this state. We don't know how many more people we could have lost had certain provisions and certain measures not been taken. So there's you know, no way for us to kind of really figure that portion of your question out. I do want to point out that Illinois is a donor state. For every fifty, for every dollar we send to the feds, we get back fifty cents. Um, at what point do we say we do want to reclaim the dollars that citizens are sending to our federal government in the form of programs that will benefit our 
our citizens, such as the ones that were mentioned around universal uh, pre-K, as well as lowering the cost of higher education for working class families. I think that our citizens would like for us to recapture those dollars for them and to put them to good use. And, uh, and on the tax issue and also on the screen for, for those of you watching, Secretary of State Alexei Janoulias uh, is, is officially Secretary of State. Uh, he uh, He's taken the oath of office and Jesse White is is officially retired after a, a long and illustrious service uh, to, to our state. So uh, Letizia Ron's, Ron's argument was that the governor doesn't really want to reduce taxes. Do you do you agree with that? I think that his actions over the last year or two have shown that, that that's not necessarily true. I mean, there were freezes on um, grocery tax, on motor fuel tax. We also had a moratorium around back to school time to help families who couldn't afford to buy school supplies and uniforms for their students. I think that there are actions that can be taken. Um, and I think this governor has shown that he's at least willing to entertain some of those things. After he was the the major champion for the the graduated income tax, though, which whether, you know, whatever number they said or whatever number the legislature would have eventually enacted, it would have caused a tax increase for a certain sect uh, sector of of our economy, whether whether it was the four hundred thousand dollars that they said or 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 lower depending on the situation, because then it would have been a choice of the the whim of the legislature at that moment. Do, do you believe that that the governor is satisfied with with the tax structure, with the way that the, the I mean, the state's bringing in more tax dollars than it's ever brought in before? Um, I mean, that's that's the reason they've been able to sneak some of these things through in the middle of the night in the last few weeks with with legislator pay increases and a $400 million fund for, for biz, closing business deals. Do you think that the Democrats and the governor believe they have enough money to do what they need? Ron, I know you're, I know your answer, Ron. So I let you love, respond. I, want her to... <laughs> I love being double teamed like this. Next time I'm bringing I'm, a partner no, I'm, with I'm, me. I'm asking, I'm uh... asking honestly. I'm asking honestly. You can handle it. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm, I mean, so the the question is, you know, there's an unprecedented amount of revenue that's come in. I think that maybe that leads to the answer to the question that you guys had at the beginning of the show, which is how do you pay for some of the things that we're paying for? Um, yes, there is more revenue. We do have the cannabis revenue. I do still believe that like so many other states, Illinois is actually kind of a rarity in the fact that we have a flat income tax. I do think that we need to look at a more graduated income tax. I mean, it's what our federal government does. I don't pay the same tax rate as Donald Trump or does he pay taxes? Uh, well, he's also a resident of Florida, which has no income tax, but, uh, that's a, that's another story, uh, for another time there but, you but go. Ron, I'm, to be, to be serious though, Ron, that, that, um, there, there is a, there has been a hollowing out of state government over, over the last decade, you know, even, even before Bruce Rauner, um, there, nobody can look at state government or, or its agencies or, any anything you deal with in state government, top to bottom, and think 
they are well staffed and and things are going well. I mean, I I drove by the the driver services facility on uh, is that is that Foster or whatever it is on the the northwest side uh, a couple of weeks ago in the cold and the you know the line is still stretching out the door. Uh, what you know? How do you how do you say that there is no argument for more revenue when you see that state government has a lower headcount than it did 10 years ago, that it did 20 years ago. How, how do you, when you see that these lines going through the door, when you, it's hard to get a, an LLC application dealt with in, in due time, how, how do you look at that and say, there's no argument for more revenue? Well, the argument for more revenue usually comes after a, a legitimate discussion over the propriety of the services. And while I won't quibble with you, Patrick, that many have anecdotal complaints. And I, in my private life as an attorney, deal often with the Secretary of State's Business Operations Department. And I will tell you, it has never, in my experience as a lawyer, 30 years, never been um, an efficient uh, operation. And, you know, just go on its website. And uh, with all due respect to uh, our Secretary of State Emeritus, um, the venerable Jesse White, that website is horrible. It's been horrible for a long time. Now that's not a personnel issue. That's not a, that, that is a competence and, you know, issue at best. I could, you give me 24 hours, I'll find some kid and we could absolutely put together a better website in state government. It's, it's ridiculous. Now to your overall overarching point, are there some instances where services, services, you know, and uh, require additional revenue? Probably. But I, I think you only do that after you look at the, the, the entirety of the operation. Look, we do have more revenues coming into the state. Um, cannabis being, you know, and gambling, you know, being two huge sources. Well, that that's wonderful. Um, but the problem with state government isn't that there's not enough people. We're, you see what we're paying people and pensions all in. It's this has been a disaster we know is coming for over 20 years. Um, the, the COVID money has been a wonderful blessing that Pritzker is obviously thriving off of. It has funded so much. It has masked so much. When that drain finally is turned off, um, and I don't even know, I know they squirreled away a lot of it. Um, heck, they're getting pay raises now and all sorts of things. These are COVID-related revenues, although they have no COVID-related connectivity, whatever. But eventually that money is going to dry up and the state's going to have to stand on its own two legs. Now, Latissa was talking about donor state and all that stuff. Okay, whatever. Um, you, I'm, I'm happy to have that conversation, right? But we, after an accounting of what we just got in COVID, I think we did pretty well in that regard. My, my guess is some of the blue states were really well-funded in COVID revenues as opposed to some of the red states. So it's six of one, half dozen of another when it comes to federal largesse and responsibility. I'd rather this state actually run efficiently on its own and show that it's fiscally responsible while providing services that it can and should. Just to reset where we're at, we've got about, we've got a few minutes left uh, here before, before we let you guys go. And, uh, 
we may we may be done before the inauguration itself is done. Comptroller Mendoza <laughs> is speaking uh, right now. Uh, she took the oath of office. Uh, Treasurer Frerichs will be uh, will be after her, uh, as as you can see uh, on the screen as she she continues to to give her remarks. So so a couple of things before we kind of give a an overall prediction or hope for, for maybe what we see in a second term, the assault weapon ban. Uh, let's just, I want to start with you just cause this, the, the drama now appears to be with Democrats. Um, the, the house Democrats and the governor supports the, the bill that they passed is, is incredibly wide ranging. Um, you know, it includes, I, I think some guns that even aren't made anymore. Uh, it's so wide ranging, uh, but also has some, some serious, as I've been told, constitutional questions, whether it's the serial number registry, whether it's the uh, the magazines, et cetera, which, which isn't really practical for some handguns, as far as I understand. And I'm, I'm not an expert, even though I'm a farm kid that grew up with a 30-06 in a cabinet right outside the front door. But um, I, I guess the question here is, why is there a fight between Democrats on this issue? And What's it going to take for for you all to get on the same page? Well, I think the fight right now is how far the legislation will go. Some say that the legislation in the Senate or proposed by the Senate does not go as far as necessary or as needed. You know, look, I'm the daughter of a police officer. I affectionately call him the Sarge. Sarge doesn't think that we need um, assault rifles as civilians. Um, I don't know. I don't understand why we have so much easy accessibility. And I do look forward to finding out more about what particular measures will be deemed constitutional and unconstitutional. And of course, if the uh, either branch or and if the governor signs off on it, if we pass legislation here in Illinois, it'll likely be up to our court to decide what's going to happen in terms of constitutionality. Um, saying all of that, I was on campus when NIU was uh, terrorized and uh, there was a student there who had just returned from Afghanistan and wanted to be a teacher and had enrolled in some of the ed psych courses that I often taught. And she was killed in an auditorium sitting at a major university I do think that the governor is right. We have to get to some place where we're not naming mass shootings and then talking about what we're going to do later. Where that fine line and where that balance is, I'm not particularly sure. But what I do know is that I don't wish it upon anyone to be hiding under a desk in the dark trying to figure out if a gunman is coming to, to take your life. Um, and I don't think any of our children or young adults deserve that. So we've got to find a solution. I may be a little bit more radical than some, but I think that's where the fight is within the party as to how far the ban will go. Um, the governor does suggest that we join eight other states in banning assault rifles altogether. And I guess that uh, remains to be seen as we enter into the new uh, legislative session. Listen, I've said before, even as a, a farm kid and a, a pro-gun person, I I don't see the need for a person to have an AR-15. I, I don't know the constitutionality of it. I'm not a lawyer. Ron, you're a lawyer. I know you don't necessarily work on this stuff, but but what's you know what's the feeling from 
even a, a suburban Republican perspective. I mean, we know downstate Republicans are don't don't touch my guns, you know, come pry them out of my cold dead hands kind of people. <laughs> uh, but 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 what's the what's the feeling? I suppose from your side of the aisle that uh, especially, I mean, Jim Durkin was, was the only Republican that voted for the assault weapon ban in the house uh, was probably already decided he was on his way out before that. But uh, how, how do you look at this as, as a, you know, I mean, you're not that far from Highland park. I'm not that far from Highland park. You're, you're, you know, Aurora, you know, that, that these issues have happened you know, in, in towns that look like ours, uh, how, how do you guys justify the constitutionality part of it, the second amendment part of it with the, with the idea that people need to have the understanding that they can go to a parade or school or church or the grocery store without having a round of five, five, six ripping through their arms. Yeah. It look, um, suburban politicians, whether they're Democrats or Republicans are uh, largely being politely petitioned and sometimes impolitely petitioned by constituents on this issue. Look, it strikes across all um, contingencies. People, you know, shudder in horror when they see things like what uh, Latisa talked about at NIU. I remember that. Or, you know, Aurora Highland Park most recently. You know, the balancing, you know, law abiding people's rights versus kind of the machinery of war is sometimes really easy to make those definitions and strike those balances. And sometimes they're not so easy. And I think having not read this legislation, so I will be blunt, I don't know exactly what the legislation says. I will say this is where the art of careful writing and drafting is absolutely critical because definitions matter. Knowing, you know, I, I people use the word assault weapons and it could mean 19 different things. So drawing distinct definitions, being clear with them and defining what is and what isn't, I think would be critical because irrespective of what passes the Senate and House and goes to the governor, it's going to be challenged. That is a foregone conclusion. And it's gonna be challenged in the backdrop of Heller or McDonald and other recent Supreme Court cases, which have drawn lines and said the states do have the right um, to regulate and to uh, determine reasonableness. But that balancing act needs to be constitutional. And I know that kind of um, kind of goes full circle, mm -hmm. but there is analysis that will be undertaken to make sure that legislation passes, passes constitutional muster. Um, we're about out of time. So I want to get kind of final thoughts from, from both of you. And, and, um, I, let's just, I want to give you the last word. So I'm going to, I'm going to go to Ron first, but it's, you know, it was your party and I'll let, I'll let you guys, uh, you go, you know, you get the last word. Letisa. So Ron, what's your hope? What's your expectation for Pritzker two? Um, well, they're going to clash, right? My hope would be that he would be more of a left center governor for the entire state. Um, you know, you having downstate experience, Patrick knows that he doesn't sit well with lots of folks south of I-80, but I don't think he cares. He, he won in resounding fashion, and I think he's governing 
to where most of the people are and most of his constituents, which is frankly, you know, Cook County with exceptions, right? To the burbs and areas like Rockford and elsewhere. I, I will say my- And he, he won DuPage County by 50,000 votes. So let's, I mean, it's way, not just to Chicago then. Right, that, that, that isn't that big a deal though. He underperformed in DuPage, given the candidate that the Republicans put up. Mm-hmm. Go back and look over the last two times to, I, I, he should have walked through DuPage. Um, Bailey was a horrible candidate. Irrespective of that, my expectations are he's going to govern as far left as he can govern in his never-ending audition to be a legitimate primary candidate for the office of the presidency of the United States. I suspect he is going to be competing with the guy in California for TV time and, you know, doing the whole beauty pageant thing because it's going to be the vice president, Newsom, Pritzker, maybe Globachar, um, Bernie will obviously probably be around and maybe a, a Senator Warren. And that's the fight because there's no way this president's going to run for a second term. There you can see uh, State Treasurer Mike Ferrix just took his his oath of office as he uh, he starts his uh, his address. He uh, he actually texted me a couple of uh, uh, days ago when uh, my wife and I were at the Illinois football bowl game, just asking how it was in Florida. And I said, shouldn't you be writing a speech? And he said, what speech? Just just joking, obviously. But uh, I have to give a speech. He said no. So uh, uh, he uh, so he's he's starting his second term uh, as well uh, today. So uh, Letisa, uh, your 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 final reactions, your thoughts uh, as we uh, look at what the governor said, look at what the governor laid out for the next four years. Uh, what are your hopes? What are your expectations? Well, I do hope that he can live up to some of the things that he mentioned in his um, inaugural speech. I don't think that it will happen. I do think it will be very difficult because we will continue to face uh, fiscal challenges, even though he has had a remarkable fiscal run, credit upgrades, balancing, paying back due bills. Um, I will say that I hope that um, we get to a place in our politics where It really is, as he mentioned in his speech, governing for the people, not for party, not for what our next role or our next office is going to be, but what the people really need to see done. Uh, That is my hope for this next term and for whoever is coming next as our governor. And that's my hope for this next presidential cycle. It will be difficult. Um, and Illinois is always in competition with California. So we shall see what happens uh, on the national stage in the next year or so. Ron Sandak, former state representative. Letizia Wallace, former state representative, uh, former candidate for Congress uh, last year as well. I am a former candidate for lieutenant governor. Uh, thank you both uh, so much for taking some time. Uh, Letizia, I know you you get uh, you get rock star status today because I know you left the hall just to come back to do this with us. So uh, thank you so much. She's always uh, a rock star. Uh, again, more than either of thank us, but, you. Uh, but thank you guys. <laughs> uh, we, we appreciate your opinion and we hope, uh, we hope folks have enjoyed uh, hearing what you guys had to say. So thanks so much. Bye. All right. All right. So thank you everybody for, for taking time to, uh, to join us in uh, after the inauguration of uh, J.B. Pritzker. Uh, the uh, governor uh, gave his uh, inaugural address a little while ago, uh, laid out a, an agenda of uh, a few a few major policy ideas of uh, free preschool, uh, free tuition for college, uh, for 
what he said, working class families in his speech, what he's previously indicated was uh, more along the lines of uh, below the poverty line. Uh, and, and of course, uh, you know, child care as well, uh, free child care uh, for, for those. So those were kind of the big ideals. Uh, he again made some, some statements for an assault weapon ban uh, and for some permanent tax relief. Uh, and we'll see how those things shake out. So uh, we will uh, we're we're planning to be back on Wednesday with another of these. It may be kind of pre-taped because that's during the legislative inauguration and I'll be in Springfield uh, and we'll uh, obviously be putting everything up as a podcast as well. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for for taking some time this afternoon and uh, continue to uh, follow us on theillinois.com and uh, stay with us as we follow everything uh, happening here in state government with the Illinois.